0: rather interesting topic as we finish out our study of the book of Ephesians. And I'll mention this as we just kind of think of the, a summary of what we've been looking at as we've been looking at the book of Ephesians. For the past group of months, we've been talking through this book, studying this book together, looking at God's eternal purpose for his church and seeing things from a very theological standpoint, seeing things from God's standpoint in the in the early chapters of the book. And then also seeing how the Lord wants us to respond to the variety of things that he's made clear to us as we looked at the second half of the book. And this morning, as we look at the last section of the last chapter of the book of Ephesians, so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 10. I'm going to read right down to the end of the passage. We're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. And that's not a commonly spoken of question but it's a very important topic that comes up in this portion of Scripture. And so the question we're going to be wrestling with today is this idea of what is spiritual warfare, and are you engaged in it? So what is spiritual warfare, and are you engaged in it? So if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians 6. We're going to start at verse 10, and like I said, we're going to read right down to the end of the chapter. And this is what it states. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, Lord, thank you so much for your word and for the privilege that it is to be able to look at it together today. And Lord, as we look at this portion of scripture, a, a portion of scripture that discusses things taking place in the spirit realm, we pray, Lord, that you'd give us your understanding. We pray that you give us your guidance. We pray that we would be able to, to really wrestle with the content that we're being presented with here, and that you'd help us, Lord, to apply these things to our lives. We know, Lord, that that there are a variety of things spoken of here that we don't really think about all that often. And we pray, Lord, that by your grace, that our eyes would be open to truth and that we would understand how your gospel intersects with with this teaching that we're given here in this portion of your word. So, Lord, thank you for the privilege to be able to look at it together today. We commit this time to your care, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me give you a tiny bit of background here for just a second. There's a war taking place all around us that we typically cannot see and we frequently don't perceive. And this is the topic that Paul's addressing here in this portion of Scripture. And for many of us, if we're even aware of this battle, I think we prefer not to think about it because it feels either creepy or uncomfortable. And most people, I would think, live their lives probably just blissfully ignorant of the battle that's taking place, the very things that the Apostle Paul is addressing in this portion of Scripture. Now, the war that I'm speaking of is a spiritual war. That's what Paul's talking about here. And what's taking place in this spiritual war is this. The angels aligned with God and the demons aligned with Satan are in the midst of a conflict that directly impacts us. In fact, much of that conflict, it, it concerns the lives of those living here on this earth because what Satan is doing is he's actively warring against God's people to prevent them from doing things like sharing the gospel, to prevent them from living in obedience to the Lord. Uh, he wants us to damage our testimonies. He wants us to damage our credibility. He wants us to become ineffective witnesses of the presence of Christ in our lives. These are things that Satan would love to see take place in your life and in my life. And I believe the Apostle Paul is trying to make us aware of these things in this portion of Scripture. Scripture also tells us, and we're going to get into this in just a little bit, but Satan is actively attempting to blind the eyes, the spiritual eyes of of unbelievers. And what what he does is he wants them to live in ignorance to the grace of God. And he's perfectly fine with them living in ignorance to spiritual things while pursuing the treasures and the pleasures and the esteem of this world because he wants them to idolize earthly life. That's what he's trying to convince many, many people, in fact, to do. And he wants to promote confusion. He wants to promote perpetual ignorance of the purpose and the plans of God. Now, the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write down the counsel that we just read together in Ephesians 6. We're going to work our way through it a little bit bit at a time. But the Holy Spirit wanted us to be able to develop an awareness of the spiritual battle that we're in the midst of, because things are being revealed to us here that we typically don't think a lot about because we don't see them, or we don't usually see them, right? And maybe even sometimes if we have seen them, we didn't realize what we were even seeing. this passage of Scripture, it also reminds us of the supreme power of God, and how he has supernaturally equipped us to face the spiritual battles that we'll experience in this life. So let's think about the things that the Apostle Paul is talking about here as the Holy Spirit inspired him to pen these words down. And I hope you'll find this very applicable, but again, this is the type of topic that I don't hear discussed very much. And I think it's very interesting that the Apostle Paul chooses to end this letter with this kind of admonition. It's like a warning and an awareness but also reminding us how we very much are equipped by our Lord to stand up in the midst of it. So let's start where Paul starts in this portion of scripture. Let's actually talk about who the devil is and what he does. Because Paul says here, let me reread verses 10 through 12 again. Paul says a few things about the devil and what the devil's up to. But he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then in verse 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now let's pause there for just a second and think about what the Apostle Paul is trying to convey here and what he's trying to reveal. So the subject of the devil is a very confusing subject to many people, because some people think that he's a myth. They just think he's a myth. They think he doesn't exist. Others tend to think of him with maybe too much credit because they'll they'll think of him in ways almost like they're equating him with God. So they're treating him like he's God's equal. So who do you think he is? Just think about that for just a second. Because Scripture tells us that the devil or Satan is a created spirit being. Now, originally, he was an angel who was created with great beauty, and great prominence. But in time, the sin of arrogance was found in him, and he fell from his esteemed position. And he also led one-third of the angels to follow him and to reject God completely. Now, Satan isn't God's opposite. In fact, when you you think about it, God has no opposite. And what I mean by that is this. God is all-powerful, God is all knowing, and god is uh, he 's omnipresent right Satan is none of those things satan 's power is strong, but his power is not the strongest satan 's knowledge is great, but his knowledge is limited, and Satan can only be in one place at one time, unlike God, who can be in all places at all time, So it would, it would be more accurate if you're trying to figure out like who Satan is the opposite of. It'd be more accurate to think of the archangel Michael as being the opposite of Satan. Meaning that they're both powerful angels, but they're both created beings. And they have the limits that are imposed upon them as created beings. So Satan and Michael would be opposites. God has no opposite. Because God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. Um, God can be all places at once, and nobody else can do that. Only God can do that. But what Satan likes to do is he likes to attempt to counterfeit the plans and the kingdom of God. He just wants to counterfeit the entire thing. So he attempts to make what, what, what he's doing uh, and what he's up to, he tries to make it look more appealing than what God is doing. And Satan likes to appeal to our sin nature. So he encourages us to think more about things like our earthly benefits than thinking about eternal matters. And I even think like in a context of of worship like this, you know, as we're we're gathered together, you know, sometimes one of the things, I'll just tell you one of the things that I pray for before a worship service like this begins. I, I pray that the Lord will give us clarity of mind, clarity of heart, and that he'll remove all the things that typically distract us from our minds so that we could focus on the Word of God and learn these things. Because I think that Satan, in his counterfeiting, loves to just distract us with things that aren't important, but they feel important in the moment. But he's just, the, he's just like supreme at distracting the people of God. And he wants us to think about short-term earthly benefits and not really spend a whole lot of time thinking about eternal matters. Now, Scripture teaches us that that Satan is actively deceiving the nations of the world. That's what he's up to. He's actively deceiving the nations of the world right now. And he employs other fallen angels or demons to participate in that task with him. And much of this world lives under the deception of Satan, and they're absolutely clueless to this fact. They don't even realize it, because most of the world, I don't think, even believes that he exists, And so they're clueless to the fact that Satan is actively deceiving them at present. And how about this? And just think about this. And this is kind of a creepy way, I think, in some ways to look at what takes place during the course of of human history, but I actually think it's 100% true. Many world leaders in our day and throughout history have been directly influenced by Satan as they've made decisions and as they've attempted to accumulate power and riches and influence in this world directly guided, directly influenced by Satan. In fact, I'm going to show you a portion of Scripture in just a little bit that demonstrates that very thing. Now, I don't have a slide to show you this one, but I mentioned this just a few moments ago, and I'll just tell you where the reference is if you want to look at it later. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, that portion of Scripture tells us that Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers. So why does he do that? Why does he blind the mind of unbelievers? Well, he's doing that in an attempt to prevent them from trusting in Jesus. He doesn't want them focused on Jesus. He wants them distracted with something else, right? He wants people to primarily have faith in themselves. In fact, I think that that's the primary God humanity worships. Humanity primarily worships itself. So he wants people worshiping themselves. He wants people to have faith in themselves. He wants people to have faith in their good works. How many people do you know that even if they believe that God theoretically exists, their faith is primarily in themselves because they think that somehow they will be able to stand before God and list for God all the good works that they accomplish during the course of their life, and that that will be the basis by which they enter into the, the presence of God for all eternity. So what does that mean? That means that most people have faith in themselves. For us as believers in Christ, we realize that when we stand before that throne, we're not going to be able to list a whole bunch of things that we did. The only thing we're going to be able to do is point to what Jesus did on our behalf. Our faith is in Jesus. We realize, Lord, Lord, I have nothing that I can offer you that deserves eternal life, that merits eternal life. The only thing I could point to is what Jesus did on my behalf. And because he did this on my behalf and my faith is in him, Scripture tells us that I'm assured Of salvation and no condemnation in the presence of the Lord. But most people believe in themselves. Most people have faith in themselves or their good works or some other system of false doctrine. And so Satan and his demons attempt to keep people from embracing the truth of the gospel. Satan also makes a point to tempt those who believe in Christ to embrace false beliefs and to indulge in evil behavior. So he wants us to conform to the values of this world. So think about this as we're gathered here. And I'll tell you, one of the things that I pray for for our church is that we would not conform to the mindset or to the values of this world. Don't buy into the hype and don't buy into the practices. Focus on what Scripture points us in the direction of. Live that way because Satan would love us to just embrace false beliefs and to indulge in evil behavior. He wants us to conform to the values of this world. He wants us to operate with with selfish motives. He wants us to embrace all forms of immorality. We're also told in Scripture that Satan opposes and accuses believers with the goal of destroying their testimony or potentially destroying their confidence in Christ. So he, he loves to remind you of your low moments. He loves to remind you of the mistakes that you made years and years ago. Loves to keep you thinking about those things over and over and over again so that you forget all about the victory that Christ has secured on your behalf. So you forget all about the new life that you have in Jesus Christ and you stay focused on the very things that God isn't even holding against you in your account because it's already been forgiven. But Satan loves to accuse God's people. And he loves if we join him in that and then accuse ourselves. So many believers spend the course of their lives just living in self-accusation over and over again, beating themselves up about things they've confessed and repented of before the Lord, and not walking in the forgiveness and in the joy that Christ has given them because they're stuck in the past. And Satan's like, wonderful, you are perfectly ineffective. Stay depressed, stay discouraged, stay focused on your lowest moments don't think at all about the fact that you, have a, you are a new creation in Christ. Think about when you were an old creation. Just think about that. You know, think about all your mistakes. Think about all your errors. And Satan loves doing something else. I've seen him do this many times. Unfortunately, uh, he's far too successful at doing this, but he loves sowing seeds of division among people. He loves doing that. Love sowing seeds of division among people. We frequently think... We we buy into this all the time. We don't even realize we're buying into it, but we think that our battle is with each other or that other people are our enemies. Can I tell you that there's not a single person on this earth who is your enemy? Not a single person on this earth is your enemy. Our battle, Scripture says, is not with flesh and blood. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. And so often we think that our battles with... You know these people that that believe different things that we believe, or the, these folks. Sometimes I'll watch the news and I'll be like, "How can anyone believe that? That is so destructive to our country. Why is somebody doing that?" And then you start thinking that that's my that's my enemy. That's like my political enemy. That's like somebody that that. And then you think to yourself, "It's like, oh, wait a second. Don't go down that path. That person is not my enemy." In many many respects, sometimes the people that you and I think are our enemies are the people that we should flip the script in our mind, start praying for because. It very well may be that Satan has blinded their eyes, and the only thing that's going to enable them to be able to see the truth is if the Holy Spirit lifts that veil. And so believers need to be joining together in prayer that this world sees the truth of the gospel. So we're engaged in a spiritual battle, and it's time that we acknowledge that. This isn't just like a temporary earthly thing. Or just this this thing where, where we're in battle with one another. Scripture tells us our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's with these, these demonic forces, these principalities, these uh, these spiritual authorities that in many respects just kind of pull people's strings and people live blissfully ignorant of the ways in which they're being played. Now, I want to give you a few examples that Scripture brings up about spiritual warfare. And I'm going to read several scriptures for us that illustrate this in vivid detail. And scripture gives us lots of examples of this. In fact, if you just want to look through the Gospels, you can see many times where Jesus is confronting demonic activity and how that demonic activity is is taking place in the lives of all sorts of people. So all throughout the course of Christ's earthly ministry, you have him confronting things over and over and over again. But in addition to the Gospels, there's other places in scripture that give us great illustrations of what this spiritual battle happens to look like. And in fact, one of the, the more vivid descriptions is written in the oldest book of the Bible. Do you know what the oldest book of the Bible is? The book of Job. I heard somebody say it. Book of Job. Yeah. Now, the content in the book of Genesis references things that happened before the book of Job, but the oldest book of the Bible that was written down is the book of Job. And so, in in essentially, the first book of the Bible that was written down In the first chapter of that book, we read this. I'm going to read to you from Job 1. I'm going to start at verse 6, and I'm going to read down to verse 12. You're welcome to follow along in a Bible or just listen to me as I read it. But in Job chapter 1, starting with verse 6, it says this. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. So you know what that's referencing, right, when it says the sons of God here. And it talks about, it's talking about this angelic presentation happening before the Lord. And in verse 7, it says, The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? So think about that statement for just a second. I, I, I once, um, in, uh, in a church that I was serving in northeast PA, I actually had somebody argue with me because they believed that Satan was omnipresent. And I said, Satan is not omnipresent. Satan is a created being. Only God is omnipresent. Only God can be all places at once. And she argued with me pretty thoroughly. She's like, no, Satan could be everywhere at all times. I was like, that would make him God. He can't do that. And when you look at what what we're told here in Job, you have the Lord saying to Satan, from where have you come? From where have you come? What does that indicate? It was in a location, right? It says, Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro... On the earth why does he have to go to and fro because he can't be all places at once he can be in one place at one time from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it and the Lord said to Satan have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil then Satan answered the Lord and said, does job fear God for no reason? have you not and by the way do you see the accusation here? This is what he loves to do. He loves to accuse God's people. It's like, oh, please. Does he fear you for no reason? Come on, think of all the good stuff you do for him, right? That's what he goes into. Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions, or, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. So again, you see another accusation, right? He'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And then the events of the book of Job transpire. And you can see the spiritual warfare that takes place all throughout the oldest book of the Bible. Another good example is Daniel. I love the book of Daniel like it so much that I decided to name one of my sons after the Daniel in this book, right? But in the book of Daniel, when you look at chapter 10, there's some very interesting things that are referenced in chapter 10 of Daniel's book. And I'll read it and I'm going to explain it as we go along, but it gives us a very interesting... uh, uh, And there's something in here I really want you to notice. There's several somethings I want you to notice. But in Daniel chapter 10, it says this. You have Daniel writing these things down, and he says, In the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. The message was true and was about a great conflict. He understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. I didn't eat any rich food. No meat or wine entered my mouth. And I didn't put any oil on my body until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up. Now notice what happens here. He says, I looked up and there was a man dressed in linen. So I'll tell you what Daniel's seeing here. He's seeing an angel. And this angel is appearing to him with the appearance of a man. He says, I see a man dressed in linen. And he says, with a belt of gold from Uphaz around his his waist, his body was like barrel, his face like the brilliance of lightning. Do you think you'd be a little freaked out to see this? Especially if you're seeing nothing and then all of a sudden someone that looks like this shows up in front of you. Do you ever meet somebody, by the way? I met somebody a group of years ago who told me that he saw an angel and I was like, no, you didn't. I didn't say that out loud, but I thought it in my head. I was like, really? And he said, yeah, I saw an angel. And basically treating this angel that he thought he saw as just adorable, like this adorable angel. I'm like, okay, that's not what seems to happen when people actually see angels in Scripture. Because look at what happens to Daniel here. So he sees this angel, right? So he says his body was like barrel, his face like the brilliance of lightning. Daniel, by the way, I'll just let you know, he's freaked out thoroughly. He's freaked out. It says, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Can you imagine seeing someone with that kind of brilliance that can then speak in such a way that you feel like you're hearing a multitude of people speak? Do you think you'd be slightly freaked out? By the way, there's not a single thing wrong listed about Daniel in the book of Daniel. Now, he's a sinner just like you and I, but it's not recorded in the book of Daniel. He's, he was known as a righteous man. So here he is, someone that you'd look at and say, like, that's, that's essentially like the most righteous we can imagine a sinful man being, right? And you have Daniel, you know, he's, he, and he, he interacts with an angel. You think, well, that probably shouldn't be a big deal because Daniel's a pretty righteous guy, isn't he? He trusts the Lord. But he's freaked out. And it says, only I, Daniel, saw the vision. The men who were with me did not see it, but a great terror fell on them because they could tell something's going on here. They just can't see it. And they ran and hid. Good friends, right? Isn't that nice? Do you ever do you ever have a friend that does that? You know, like you stand in the midst of something and they they go run and hide. I got a good story about a snowball fight once that remind me to tell you. I stood, thought I had my buddies with me. Discovered just me. They ran. I was in college too. Anyway. And then he says, I was left alone. My heart hears you, Daniel. I was left alone looking at this great vision. And he says, no strength was left in me. My face grew deathly pale and I was powerless. I heard the words he said. And when I heard them, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, AKA I passed out and fell forward and my face was on the ground. I was pale and I just passed out he passed out. I don't know if you've ever fainted. Daniel did. He just fell to the ground and just crashed onto the ground. And there he is face first in the dirt, right? And it says, suddenly a hand touched me and set me shaking on my hands and knees. He said to me, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. Understand the words that I'm saying to you stand on your feet for I have now been sent to you. So you would think, oh, Daniel would be at that point fine, right? He's like, oh, we're good. And then he stands up, brushes himself off and he's fine, right? No, look at what it says. After he said this to me, I stood trembling. I stood trembling. And so the angel says, and this is a pattern. When you look all throughout scripture, you see angels do this, I think just about every time or almost every time they interact with humanity. The angel says to Daniel, don't be afraid, Daniel. Do you ever notice that even in the Christmas story, right? Fear not, fear not. Why do angels say that when they interact with people? Because we don't see stuff like that all the time, right? We're freaked out. You know, you see somebody that looks like this and they talk and it sounds like a multitude is talking. Now, I know people in my life that use as many words as a multitude when they're talking, but they don't sound like a multitude. At the, don't look at me like I'm one of them. But he says, Don't be afraid, Daniel. That's what the angels, that's what the angels typically say. They're like, Don't be, don't be, we know you're freaked out. We can tell you're freaked out. Your knees are shaking, right? You keep passing out. Daniel, stop passing out. Stand up, right? Don't be afraid, Daniel, he said to me. And then this is interesting. And I want you to think about this in regard to our prayers. So Daniel's already given us a time frame here of what he's been doing. But it's, the angel says to him, For from the first day that you purpose to understand and humble yourself before your God, your prayers were heard. You ever think about this? That when you pray, the angels are ministering spirits. That's what the Lord tells us. And that many of your prayers, as you pray, the Lord dispatches his angels to accomplish things that you're praying about. And this scripture illustrates it here. He says, he, he says um, your prayers were heard. He said, I have come because of your prayers. I've come. Be careful what you pray for. You might get a little freaked out, Right. I have come because of your prayers. And then he says this, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. So do you ever wonder what's going on? Why sometimes it feels like there's this delay between when you pray and when you see an answer. So Daniel's been praying for three weeks here, right? Three weeks. And here, this angel says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. So what's going on there? So like, the prince of, of Persia is like, nope, no angels in this area. I'm going to need you to take that over here to Assyria. No no Persian, no angels in Persia. What's he talking about? He's talking about a demon that's been assigned to influence the leadership of Persia. The prince of Persia. Right? a demon that's assigned to influence the leadership there. He's not talking about the human leader of Persia. He's talking about demonic influence that's trying to demonically influence for evil the leadership of Persia. he says, "That, that prince opposed me for 21 days. So for 21 days, this angel's been trying to get to Daniel, to give him a message. And for 21 days, that demon has been fighting with this angel is this angel's trying to deliver this message to Daniel. Great example of spiritual warfare. And then it says then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me after I had been left there with the kings of Persia. So now he's talking about you can see like multiple you know multiple demons doing their work in Persia. And this angel's trying to fight them and finally Michael, the archangel is dispatched And provides him some help and then he's able to pass on the message to Daniel. Does that not cause a lot of curiosity in your mind when you read a portion of scripture like this? And we just sit blissfully ignorant of the fact that there are angels and demons fighting all around us. I'm actually glad we can't see it. I want to know that this is going on, but I'm pretty sure I would faint constantly if I was seeing it and you probably would too. That would be freaky to actually see, but it's saying it's actually happening. And so it says, then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me after I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to help you understand what will happen to your people in the last days, for the vision refers to those days. It's a pretty powerful example of spiritual warfare. I'll give you one more from the New Testament that's really short, just one sentence. Jesus revealed something to Peter. So we looked at Job, we looked at Daniel. Just show you one sentence of what Jesus revealed to Peter. And by the way, for those that think that that Satan is a myth, can I assure you, Jesus didn't think he was a myth. And so Jesus looks to Peter, who's also called Simon Peter, right? And Jesus says to Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, he's warning him here. He says, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Would you want to know that? It's like, is this information I want to know? I bet you Peter did not want to know that. But Jesus wanted him to know that. He's like, he's demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. Also notice that Satan has to get permission for many of the things that he's doing. So when people think he's all-powerful, there are certain things that he's allowed to do and certain things he's restrained from doing. So it's just kind of interesting when you look at some of the biblical examples of spiritual warfare that we could see, and that's not all of them. Those are just a few that catch my attention right away. So how should we respond to all of this? If this is stuff that scripture tells us it's going on, how should we respond to it? Well, let's jump back to Ephesians 6. Let me reread verse 13 down to verse 20. In Ephesians 6, it shows us what our response to this happens to be. It says in verse 13 of Ephesians 6, it says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication. So those are making requests. When it says supplication, that's making a prayer request. Making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So regarding this this battle that Scripture describes for us, Scripture gives us a lot of counsel in just a few verses. That's a lot of counsel, wouldn't you say? It's a lot of advice, a lot of counsel packed into a paragraph. Ultimately, what we're being told to do is to, to have confidence in Christ, to rely on Christ, to trust in Christ, to trust His mighty power to be sufficient to carry us through. In fact, the most, the most effective thing we can do is seek the Lord's intervention and seek the Lord's protection through prayer while living out the counsel that He's given to us in His Word. And I want you to think about some of the counsel that the Lord's given to us in His Word. We'll revisit what we just read from Ephesians 6, and, and I'll, I'll highlight one verse from Ephesians 6 real quick. Ephesians 6.11, part of the counsel is what? Stand against the devil's schemes. right? Stand against the scheming of the devil. Stand against that. How are you going to stand against that? With the strength that's applied to you through Jesus Christ. But think about what else it tells us in Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 say this, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Do you know one of the favorite ways that Satan loves to outwit you and me is to cause us to, to not practice forgiveness? Because if you and I do not practice forgiveness, that will produce bitterness and hate and division. And that's one of his favorite ways to divide people. There's probably somebody in your life who has offended you deeply. Well, it's no worse than how humanity has offended our Creator. And yet, what has Jesus Christ come to this earth to do? Forgive us. And then he says, go and do likewise. But if you choose not to, if you've got bitterness in your heart for somebody in your past or someone in your life who's been... And I'm not denying that they may have been rude to you or been a jerk to you or been violent to you or any of those things. Those are all, I'm sure, true. But if you choose not to practice forgiveness toward them, Satan will easily outwit you. And you will fall prey to his schemes... And it will impact mostly you, but also people that operate close to you. And the person that you're struggling to forgive will probably know nothing about it. They'll just live unaware of the fact that you're just destroying your life because you've held on to that bitterness. And Satan's like, cool, I love destroying lives. And we're like, hey, let me do your job for you. And what scriptures say? Paul says, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. 1 Corinthians 10.13, it says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you could stand up under it. James 4.7 says this, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He will flee from whom? From you. If you stop giving in to him and start resisting him through the power that Christ supplies you. In Ephesians 6, Paul tells us here to dress in the armor that God supplies. Now, many commentators talk about the fact that Paul at this point was in prison, right? It was a house arrest, but who's he guarded by? He's guarded by Roman guards. And so they're thinking that Paul, as he's writing this down, he's looking at that guard and he's seeing that armor that he's got on and all these different things. And he's like, you know what? That's a great analogy for what the Lord is doing for us as he's protecting us. The armor that God supplies includes things like truth, and righteousness, and readiness, and the gospel of peace, and faith to extinguish Satan's flaming arrows. It includes salvation. It includes God's word. It includes prayer. When you look at Paul's words here, we're also challenged to be alert and to speak fearlessly, just as Paul was seeking help from God to do so in his own life. And when speaking about the reality of spiritual warfare, I think Christians tend to respond in different ways. I've witnessed some believers becoming quite passive about it, and just thinking that it's not that big of a deal. And I've also seen others respond in a fearful manner, because they think it's more of a big deal than it it is. But the mature response, when you look at what Scripture reveals to us, is one of proactive faith. And what I mean by that is this. We trust in Jesus who secured the victory over Satan when he rose from the grave. And we live out our faith by taking the kind of actions that God's word prescribes. And so you can see the prescriptive activity that the Lord's given us in his word. So if the Lord allows you to experience a season of spiritual warfare, consider it an opportunity for your faith to grow and for your faith to be sharpened. Now, I will confess to you that there have been several seasons in my own life where I've experienced spiritual warfare that, to me, was obvious, especially when I look back at it. But even in the moment, it, seemed, it started to become kind of obvious to me. The first season that I can remember experiencing this was when I started to grow serious about my faith in Christ. And in many respects, that makes sense to me, because you think if you've been living your life one way, living in blindness and then all of a sudden you start taking your faith in Christ seriously, I imagine that that would probably get on the radar of spiritual forces that don't want to see that happen. And the second season was when I entered into pastoral ministry, which kind of surprised me. But I was shocked by the opposition. So I was 21 years old. Anyone here 21? Raise your hand real quick if you're 21. All right. A decent amount of people. Okay. Raise your hand if you still wish you were 21. Um, I was 21. I became a pastor. And I have to tell you, I, this is what I thought. This is how naive I was. I thought that people would just all, that the world would celebrate, maybe even throw me a parade that I became a pastor. The people were like, wonderful, wonderful career choice, John. Wonderful career choice. Let's celebrate that with you. Can I tell you that I never experienced so much opposition and personal attack than what came upon me at that time, at least up to that point. I've had a few seasons that have come close since. But I remember being like, what is happening here? Like, where is this coming from? I just want to serve Jesus and serve as a pastor. And then all of a sudden, a whole bunch of stuff comes at me. And I I remember realizing, I was like, so this is how it works. Like, I've stepped into something here, that this is a spiritual battle. And I plan on going into this spiritual battle fighting. And this is what happens if you're a fighter. If you step into this spiritual battle, don't be surprised when opposition and attack comes. Because it will come. And can I tell you, I've been serving as a pastor for 25 years now. Two years as a youth pastor. 23 years as a senior pastor. And it's been a theme all the way throughout. All the way throughout. I don't broadcast it to the world, usually. But it's been a theme all the way throughout. And you know what's weird? You actually get used to it. And you just start to recognize it for what it is. You're like, this has nothing to do with me. That has nothing to do with me. We actually had an incident. I, I'll just tell you this now real quickly. We had an incident just a few months ago related to this, that the elders, we had a meeting right up here to discuss how we wanted to handle it, not from somebody in the church or anything like that, but from somebody in the area who was kind of nuts and, uh, and expressing some threatening things toward me. Unprovoked. I'm like, why does he care about anything I do? Why does he care? Do you know, we actually passed his picture out among the people that like greet and the elders? Do you know, where's Scott? Scott, where are you at? There was a guy that came in one Sunday who looked exactly like the guy. And Scott came up to me. He's like, Is that the guy? Isn't it nice to know you, we got elders that are just ready to pounce as, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like, Scott's like this. I, not he wasn't. He's like, Just pound the guy, right? But just, it just—it was so irrational, and I, I was like, "Yeah, this is this happens now and then." And somebody asked me that, that kind of knew about this. They're like, "Does this happen a lot?" I was like, "Doesn't happen a lot, but it happens now and then, and it's weird." I had another instance um, when we were uh, speaking. I was speaking. Imagine this. I was speaking on the love of Christ down. At, we helped plant a church down in West Conshohocken a few years ago, and so one evening, this made the news. This was great, right? Um, I was speaking and it was a spring night and we had the doors and windows open and I was speaking on the love of Christ and a car pulls up in front of the church and there's a guy sitting in the car looking into the church as I'm preaching on the love of Christ. He has his windows down. And I was like, oh, cool, like drive in church. And I'm not thinking much about it. And then at the very end of the service, he starts screaming into the building and he he says... Uh, I don't remember all the words he says, but he says something to the effect of, uh, you're an offense to me. And then he goes, you're an offense to Muslims. And then, he, and then he says, you're going straight to hell on the day of judgment. And the interesting thing is we've got it all recorded. And I remember in that moment thinking to myself, I was like, what the heck is going on? And, I, and so I stepped away from the pulpit and toward the guy. And, uh, and I, I tried to diffuse it a little bit, but I stepped toward the guy. And I said, sir, can I, wh- what, are, what are we talking about here? Why are you screaming into the building? And he starts screaming and he's, and he's yelling. And I'm thinking, I wonder what's about to happen next. It's very curious. But I also thought, in my mind, I thought, I've got my wife and I've got my kids in here and I've got a small congregation. And you can't call yourself a shepherd if you don't step between the threat and the people. And so I stepped up to him. And I don't think he was expecting that, and he fled. But he went to another church, and he caused trouble there. And then what we ended up discovering was that he was here in the country illegally from Turkey, and I spent the next few weeks working with Homeland Security to help identify the guy, and they deported him as a threat. And I remember thinking to myself, well, that's interesting so then the news shows up here at our church, and they said, can we interview you about this? This was pretty weird. And one of the statements that I made that seemed to, and I just said this because I've thought it a lot, but I said this to the reporter as she was interviewing me. She, I, I said, yeah, I've always wondered when this would happen. And she said, you've wondered when this would happen? I said, oh, yeah. I said, the, whole, the entire time I've been a pastor, I've been wondering when something that weird would happen. So when it happened, I wasn't, I wasn't surprised by it. I just thought, oh, so today's the day. I wondered when it would happen. That was the day. And so they placed part of that on the local news. It was kind of interesting. But I thought to myself, my battle's not with that guy. In fact, Homeland Security gave me the guy's name, and so I pray for him with regularity, because my battle's not with him. He's under spiritual blindness. He He has no idea what he's doing or what he's even talking about. So regularly, I keep his name in my phone so I remember to pray for the guy. Because he doesn't know, and there are lots of people in the world who don't know. And here's the other thing: I've also noticed that whenever I've exchange, whenever I've, um, what's the word I want to use here? Whenever I've accepted a uh, like a change in assignment from God, it's like throughout the course of my life, the Lord's asked me to do a variety of different things. And so whenever I've accepted a change in assignment, I've noticed that, that every time I feel like I've heard from God on that, that always comes with some weird level of opposition. And I'll tell you one other weird thing, and I want those of you that are going to be involved in spiritual leadership to hear me with this, because this one was strange for me too. I feel like in certain areas of my life, I've experienced more temptation than I did prior to accepting a role in spiritual leadership. And I remember noticing that. I'm like, why? This wasn't, I was like, this wasn't an issue before. Like, why is, why is this something that I'm, I'm wrestling with? And then you realize, oh no, this makes perfect sense. Satan's scheme would be hey, John, mess up your life. Take it, like, give in to your temptations. Mess this up because that'll have an impact on a whole bunch of people that look at you as a spiritual influence in their life. So if you could take out that one person, what then happens to those that are looking for counsel from that person? And I was like, Satan, you're sneaky. You're sneaky. Be aware of these things, but also recognize you are not powerless. Don't think that you're powerless in the midst of these things, because you're not. In fact, I want to give you a personal challenge as we finish up. A few different things I want to say. First of all, don't dismiss what's happening around you, all right? Don't dismiss any of it. Don't be unaware of the devil's schemes. Don't be unaware of the ways that he's working in our culture to promote confusion, And don't be unaware of the power that you have in Jesus Christ. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is present in you. You are not powerless. Pray, trust God to intervene on your behalf, and keep moving forward with Spirit-empowered courage. Second, submit your thought life to the Holy Spirit. Feed your mind the truth of God's Word. Surround yourself with people who will speak the gospel into your life and love you enough to hold you accountable. I think that way you will be less likely to give the devil a foothold in your mind and a foothold in your life. Next, take sins seriously, including the sins of religious pride and worldliness. And you would think that they would be on different ends of the spectrum, but it's really just two versions of the same thing. Call them out when you notice them in your life. Come before the Lord with prayers of repentance. And then develop a plan to learn God's Word. Be very intentional about that in your life. If you learn it, your faith will grow, and your life will change for the better. And if you live it out, you'll impact everyone who comes into contact with you in a healthy way. And you'll also develop more insight into what's really going on all around you. I think you'll find yourself less likely to be deceived by the false promises of wickedness. Through Christ, we have the power to stand strong. That's what Scripture is revealing to us. So stay alert, walk by faith, and live in the power of Christ. And let me encourage you with one quick quote, and this is where we'll finish this morning. This is from a man named Wesley Duell. And if you've never read any of Wesley Duell's books, I'd encourage you to check some of them out. But this is in his book, Touch the World Through Prayer. And he makes this quick statement, and this is where I want to finish this morning. He says, As a child of God, you have full authority to contact God, the sovereign of the universe, whenever you desire. He is always enthroned in heaven, and yet through prayer, you have as much access to his presence as any angel or archangel. not a fascinating thought? Let's do that now. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for the privilege that it is to be able to look at it together and to think about the things that you're revealing to us in it. Lord, we ask for your wisdom. We ask for your guidance. We ask for your protection. When we look at your word, your word makes it abundantly clear to us that there is a spiritual battle taking place all around us. And Lord, I know that there are times in my life I've just been completely ignorant of that, I know that there are times in my life that I have struggled to forgive people, and as a result, that developed bitterness in my heart and hatred in my heart and left me wide open for Satan to take a foothold in my mind and in my life. And I'm imagining that the Apostle Paul recognized that at times in his own life, and so you taught him to, to forgive as he was forgiven. So, Lord, help us to forgive as we've been forgiven. Lord, help us to commit your word to our memory. Help us to rely on you for strength. Lord, help us to resist evil. And we're grateful for the promise that you've given us in your word that if we resist the evil one, that he will flee. So, Lord, we're grateful for your power. We're grateful for your presence with us. And we're grateful for your love. We know, Lord, that, that you are good to us in ways that, that we don't even realize. And and sometimes, Lord, there are spiritual battles taking place all around us, ways that you are answering our prayers that, that we don't understand why there's a delay, and ways in which you're protecting us that we don't even realize we're being protected. We're just walking down the street not even knowing that there's a spiritual battle going on where you're accomplishing on our behalf all that needs to be accomplished. And, Lord, I think it's going to be amazing someday when that's all revealed to us, But in the meantime, we walk by faith right now, we ask you for your power, we ask you for your guidance, we ask you for your strength, and we pray that we would not be unaware of the spiritual warfare that's being experienced or taking place in this world, but that we would be aware of it, and yet we would rely on the power and and the tools and the ability and the armor that you've given to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. So Father, thank you for these things. Thank you for your presence with us. And thank you for the ways in which a portion of scripture like this can both make us aware, but also feed our minds brave and courageous thoughts. Because we realize that the closer we are to you, the more we're basically saying, I'm going to choose to engage in this war. And so Lord, as we engage in that, we pray that we would do so in such a way that you receive the glory and that we learn to rely on your strength Lord, we're grateful for the fact that even the Apostle Paul, as he wrote these things down while he was being confined in a home prison, was still engaged in the war. And he boldly proclaimed your gospel as you gave him the opportunity to do so. And in this context, it was with a pen. So, Lord, we pray that we would continue to do so as you give us opportunity. And we thank you for the examples that others have given us of what that looks like. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all of these things, and we commit ourselves to you now and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Feeling stressed? Let's take better care of you. I'm Bonnie Gray, the host of Breathe, the Stress Less Podcast. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.